Man, I'm looking forward to sharing my heart uh, the next couple of weeks with you guys, and, and uh, in particular, what Lord, the Lord has laid on my heart um, today regarding unity and, and where we're at as a church, and when I say that, as the church here specifically in America. Uh, but I would venture to say a common ground is we can all uh, testify to this and, and probably agree with this, that we live in a time of chaos, uh, you, uh, every morning, I, I feel like the last couple of months, in particular the last two to three months, I have a Fox News app on my phone and it's set to, to alert me on breaking news. And I feel like every time I wake up, there's something on the breaking news of a tragic event, of something chaotic has happened. Something has taken the, the, the uh, world by storm, whether that be a mass shooting, whether that be uh, somebody passing away, whatever it is, we live in a world of chaos, uh, a time when the world tells us to focus on us, but the cross tells us it's not about us, a time where the left and the right differ so much that I don't know how much uh, we can put our hope and trust in a political uh, government anymore, a time when the world hears our nation shouting which life matters more. A time when the rest of the world is rapidly experiencing the light of the gospel. Okay, the rest of the world all around, and you'll see this later on in my message, is experiencing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in places that the gospel is not allowed. But can I tell you, a movement of God cannot be stopped. A time where my children, your children, and perhaps our grandchildren will grow up in a nation that was founded on the basis of absolute truth, the United States of America, united under God's word, um, will now be faced with the consequences of, of demoralizing the truth, capital T, uh, the acceptance of, of everything. All of this, I believe, can be described by one word, and that's what we're going to focus on today, and that's disunity. So, but today, we can and we should stand in unity as the church, because our hope is not found in the left or right. Our hope is found in Christ. Our cries of which life matters more should be the cries of every life matters because every life is created in the image of our creator, of God. Our basis of unity is found in the truth of who Jesus was, who he is, and who he is still going to be. And today, maybe we can be reminded of the importance of unity within the church. The American church, the universal evangelical church, and yes, even within this church, that God desires unity. So today I want to spend the next few moments looking at the first letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. So 1 Corinthians, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. We'll be camped out in the first couple of chapters uh, this morning. So what is unity? If you're, if you're taking notes today, this is unity part one. Okay, next week you'll get to hear from Josh about unity part two. And uh, man, this is just something God's laid on our hearts uh, for where we're at as a nation, where we're at as a church, but even where we're at as believers. Because we're going to learn about the flesh, we're going to learn about the spirit, and we're going to learn the role of the spirit this morning of what Paul addresses. Even thousands of years ago, Paul is writing a letter that addressed a church in Corinth that still to this day rings true to our church here, the, the church, Okay. So disunity, let's look at what disunity is, because it would be real easy for me to explain to you what unity is. Well, it's where we're all unified. But let's look at what disunity is. The lack of unity, obviously, or the state of not being able to agree about important things. Three synonyms I want to keep in mind. Strife, discord, and conflict. 
Again, I would say our country is literally up in arms right now and in complete turmoil or strife, discord, or conflict. There's such a lack of unity within our country, and unfortunately, when the church needs to be the church, we can't find it in our own hearts to stand up and be the church, to be light into the dark world because of the flesh. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. Because we worry about being politically correct. We worry about not offending this group, of this person, or this group of people. Can I just say, church, just be the church. Just be the hands and feet of Christ and bring hope of the light of the gospel into a dark world. Because that's what we're called to do, to love and be light in the darkness. And here's the deal. We are not the answer. Again, goes back to fighting our flesh, you'll see in just a second. We aren't the answer but we have the answer. And if you're a Christ follower, you're clinging to that answer. You're clinging to the hope. And sometimes we become hoarders of that. Man, if those people just only understood, well, guess what? It's our job to help them understand why they need the life-changing gospel. We are not the answer, but we have the answer. And Jesus is that answer. Scripture tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the fixer, and we are his messengers. Amen? Christ fixed the problem, Otherwise, the cross is foolishness if we don't believe the solution was already paid in full for each of us. He fixed the problem. He brought unity and disunity. He fixed the problem. And I want to remind us, church, of three quick things that Paul addresses uh, to the church of Corinth. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 1, starting in verse 10. If you will, follow along with me. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of one of you is saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I even follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. In verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of elegant wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of, it, of its power. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you use your passage this morning. I pray that you use your scripture. Lord, use me. Lord, if you can use anybody, you can use each of us. And Lord, you're desiring to show us how to be used by you and to further your kingdom. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that maybe is just kind of beat up and, and, and broke down and they don't really understand where they fit into this big picture. The beauty of it is there is a big picture. And you desire a relationship with each one of your children. God, we are created in your image. All lives matter. And we pray, Father, that today uh, we would understand what it means to stand in unity as brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So unity part one is where we're going, okay? There's three quick things I want us to understand. Um, and, and I want us to, uh, to get the context here that Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, okay? So Corinth back then was a, a city set up similar to compared to America, if you will. Okay, Corinth was like the, the guinea pigs. They stepped out and they made the progress. Man, people, other countries, other cities wanted to be like Corinth. Okay, the gospel, Paul had been on his missionary journeys to the, 
to Corinth already. He had set up churches with amongst Apollos and Cephas and, and amongst people. He had, he had groomed and trained leaders to start the church. Okay, and they have gone and the gospel has spread. But also with the gospel spreading, flesh and worldliness had taken place. All right, sexual sin and, and the, the sin, the, the um, uh, man of money and, and wanting to be wealthy. All of this had set in at the same time. So I want you to kind of get the, the comparison here. The concept of this is he was writing to them saying, look, just writing to you. I want to encourage you, I love you, but also I've heard that there's been some quarreling. I've heard, I've heard that there has been some things that we need to take place. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, is to understand that the flesh always divides. The flesh always divides. Paul was addressing some definite issues again with the church, okay? And they had all been centered around the idea of disunity and discord or divisions amongst the church. It wasn't about the person that Paul was trying to tell them. If you look, I mean, it says, well, some say they follow Paulus, and others say me, and others Cephas, or even others say that they follow Christ. What he's telling them is, look, I hear some of y'all have been boasting about who you follow. Can I remind you, it's not who you follow, it's the, the Christ that we are following. The person being used by Christ, absolutely. But do not follow them. We put our hope in what Christ has done. And so he's just using it as a reminder Paul's addressing the fact that they are boasting in oneself of who they are following. They were prideful in the fact uh, that they followed one leader or the other, okay? They were prideful. The flesh had, had begun to take over. And can I just remind you, if anybody had an opportunity to brag and kind of pat themselves on the back, wouldn't you think Paul, of all people who, who once was a murderer of, of Christians, had been changed on the road to Damascus, and, and God had just got a hold of his life to where so much so he, he said to live as Christ, to die as gain. In other words, when, when people would come at him and persecute him, it would basically be like, hey, if you kill me, I go home with Jesus. If you don't kill me, I get to preach Jesus. Bring it on. I win. And, and, and if anybody had a chance to boast, Paul, to me, I would think could boast. I mean, he was an apostle. He wrote as an apostle, one who was commissioned and sent by Christ. But he understood it wasn't him. It was the work of Jesus. The flesh always divides. And let me just kind of take it a step further. Look at chapter one, verse 25, and let's, let's work through this, uh, 25 through 31, because I think we need to remember who we are without Christ when we're living in the flesh. Let's be reminded of who we were. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I love this part. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, not because of you, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it was written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's reminding them that the flesh always divides when you focus on yourself, it's divisive. When you, uh, even if you're put in a position of leadership, when you don't understand that, it's your flesh always 
is divisive. It divides. My flesh will always let me down. Always. It will never be enough. What Matt can do, it will never be enough. It is all about Jesus and what he did. Without Christ, I am nothing. And so again, let's think about the the disunity within our world today. The natural tendency of the flesh, again, is to always divide. And Paul addresses this idea with the church again. Remember, he says, uh, some of you follow Apollos and Cephas, and some of you follow him. Hey, we don't follow man. We follow the man. Amen? We follow Jesus. It's It's not anybody that we are following. It is all about Jesus and those who follow Jesus. If I teach my kids, and I mentioned this about the Pharisees and the Simon Says, but if I teach my kids to just follow the rules because we're supposed to, and I just say, Ellie, we're just supposed to do this. I don't know why, but I just need you to do this. Just stand up, sit down, say amen, be good in school. If I just teach her to do what everybody else says to do, I'm not doing her any justice there. If I teach her God's word of what it means to be obedient, then that's a heart change. A moral change is, well, just do right, just be good. There's a lot of great morally people out there. There's a lot of leaders in positions all across the United States that are great people. Oh, man, let's take care of the sick. Let's take care of the homeless. Let's make sure we, but hey, being good morally isn't necessarily being Christ-like. So I have to teach my children what it means to be obedient and have a heart change. Ellie, this is why we do this. Because Christ came to serve and not be served. This is why we are to be obedient. We are to be united in the same mind and the same judgment so that we may be no, there may be no divisions amongst you. So remember, number one, the flesh always divides. Second thing, if you're taking notes, the spirit always unifies. The cry of our nation is for unity, but unity is not possible without the work of the spirit. I'll tell you, next president's not gonna fix everything. You heard Sean over and over again that the the thing that will fix this country, this nation, is that people will be on their hands and knees before the Lord and repenting and say, God, this is all about you. We have to to get back to the basics. We have to get back to the, the truth of God's word. So while it may help and while passing laws and and rules and regulations obviously help morally. But it's a heart change, church. It is a heart change, and here's the deal. The spirit always unifies. Why do I know that? Because we all live in the flesh. Every one of us, we live in the flesh, and it always divides unless you live to the principle of Galatians 2.20, which, by the way, Paul wrote to another church, and let's just look at that. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, look, the life I live in the flesh, that's not gonna change. I'm always going to be in the flesh, but I live in the flesh through faith in the Son of God who loved me and changed me. You tracking with what Paul's saying here? Everything is about pointing to Jesus. The work in my life, I'm not the same person I was uh, last year. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Uh, If you ask my wife, some days I'm better than others, okay? And and most of the time she's like, hey, she has to remind me. Come on, we're supposed to be getting better at this. But the point is, is I'm not the same person because I have been crucified with Christ. The flesh wins. There are days, I'm telling you, Sean struggled with his, his, his word driving down the road. You know, he would call people idiots, okay? Uh, I have my struggles. In some days, my flesh wins and it overpowers me and overtakes me. 
But word of God tells us no temptation has overtaken us that not God that uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will provide you a way out. So hear me on this. The spirit is here to unify. Let's see what Paul says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And and I made the mistake, if you know anything about Gayheart, I I read a lot of scripture for the next two points, okay? And I made the mistake in the first service of apologizing for that, and she got a hold of me and said, don't you ever apologize for reading too much scripture. There's no such thing. So I'm going to read the scripture, and we're going to get out when we get out. But this is important stuff, man. This is where we're at. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Let me read this to you. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in the weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Then he goes down, let's skip down to uh, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have been crucified the Lord of glory. But as it was written, we just sang this, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Paul is addressing over and over and over again in this letter. I mean, this has got to be important, right? I mean, here we are in chapter two, and the whole time in chapter one, he's pointing to other people beside, or to everybody except his church leaders. He is pointing to Jesus. Some follow Paulus, some follow, no, we follow Jesus. In the second chapter, we see this, that it is not, Paul says, I came to you, and I was, man, I was trembling in fear. Man, I, I thought I, 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 I did not speak in, in man's wisdom. I did not speak in folly and creative wisdom of man. I spoke through the Spirit. And why is that? Because the Spirit unifies. If Paul came to them and said, well, I tell you what, I've I've been appointed by this. I'm an apostle, and you're going to follow me and do whatever I say. No, 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 no. The flesh divides. But Paul said, here I am, Lord. If you can use anybody, use me. And he said, your word's not mine, Lord. I can't do this, but you can use me to do this. He didn't come to them with a lofty speech or wisdom, they weren't plausible words of wisdom, demonstration of the spirit of the power and spirit of God. So that your faith and our faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He spends significant time addressing this church. It is the work of the spirit and of Christ, not of man's. 
Because natural tendency, again, is that the flesh will divide. He's just reminding them over and over again. And every time you read a lot of his letters over and over again, guys, it's not about you. It's not your work. It's the work of Christ. God revealed these things to us through his spirit. Is what we just read. We haven't received the spirit of the world, what we just read, but the spirit who is from God. Church, the spirit's role is to unify. We just, again, sang a whole other song. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we believe that, then we ought to start working towards unification as, as believers. We ought to understand our role as being light into the darkness because our natural tendency is that our flesh will divide. God revealed these things to us um, and then kind of just closing out point two, until we learn to live like we've been crucified with Christ and that it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and until we learn to live by faith in the Son of God, we can't seek true unity with ourselves, with each other, uh, with a, in a church context within this nation. The work, of the, sports, uh, the work of the Spirit is to unify this morning and maybe some of us just needed to be reminded of that. Our flesh divides, but the spirit unifies. And praise God it does. And praise God when it does, the third thing happens. And that's the spirit brings power to change and grow and do what only God can do. Flesh will fail you. You have no power. Spirit unifies, and that's where the power is found. This is where I'm going to start reading some scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 8. I want you to catch this, because this talks about Everything, we, it kind of wraps everything up. The spirit brings power to change and grow. Romans 8, 1 through 8 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. On our behalf, are you catching this? God has done with the, what the law weakened by our flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Some of us are looking for that life and for that peace, and it's, we can't find it because we keep trying to do things on our own. We keep saying, I've got this, Lord. I can get through this. Baloney. You can't. I've been there. I have done that. I've got the t-shirt saying, I've got this. I can do this. Lord, I don't, I, I just, one more time, I can do this, I can get through this. No, you can't. When you say that, the cross is foolishness. When you say, I've got this, then why did he go to the cross? Man, why did he do that? Until we learn to say, I can't do this, do this, you have got to do this. And check this out in verse seven. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's not that God disagrees, it's that it's hostile to God. When you live in the flesh, it is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hey, the flesh will always fail us. It will always fail you. But, there's always a but. The spirit is here to unify. First Corinthians, back to our, our original passage there in chapter two, 9 and 10, but as it was written, 
what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit is what brings forth power to change, power to grow as believers. Feel stagnant in your faith and you're just like, man, I, I, can't, I can't get through this. I, hey, start relying on the power of the Spirit. God, I can't do this. I need you to help me with this. The power to change and grow and do what only God can do. Chapter 3, verse 3 in 1 Corinthians, it says this, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? Look, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Unity can only be achieved when the Spirit is leading each of us, so that no man may boast. Not the work of man, but the work of Christ. Hey, the best kind of leader, as far as I'm concerned, is the one who knows who they're following. Okay, our next pastor, somewhere down the road, I, I will just tell you one thing I've learned through leadership, through mentors in my life, that if you are in a leadership position and you have to say, hey guys, follow me, then there's chances are you might be living in the flesh. Because a man of God, after God's own heart, should say, God, I don't know how to lead these people, so I'm just going to follow you. And the rest takes care of itself. And so be it with your walk. Okay, God has put you in leadership positions over your families, uh, in your co- with your coworkers, and, and the last thing that we need to do is stand up and say, hey, guys, come with me. I'll show you how to walk with the Lord. You just start living it out. Be in the church. Be in the light to the darkness. Living out the gospel. There's no secret cunning words or there's nothing secret about this. You just live it out. If you don't know how to live it out, that's probably a good thing because your only option is to say, God, here I am, use me. And he takes care of the rest. This church is gonna continue on and she has for a very long time. My challenge to each of us this morning though is to understand the role we play and that role is not in the driver's seat. Sean uses this expression all the time. Man, so many times we say, God, uh, and matter of fact, Dr. Joe Laughlin last week talked about how amazing it is that we will trust God with eternity. Eternity, wrap your mind around that. You can't forever. We will trust him with eternity, but we can't even trust him with today's problems. Oh, but God, you have my eternity. That's forever. And yet, in the midst of our problems, we can't trust him. This idea of the driver's seat. Our flesh will plead with you, okay? And it does with me. Matt, you've got this. Remember, Matt, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Remember, Matt, you've got this. Matt, you can do this. It's easier if you just do this. And then I'm reminded by the Spirit that I'm not in the driver's seat. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm not the one leader. I'm not the leader of Christ. His plan, his way, his son under his Spirit united for his glory and purpose in which he set before time through Christ. The Spirit brings forth what only God can do. And I look forward to seeing what that is with this church, with this community, with our nation. 
I look forward to seeing what God has in store. In closing, I believe God's up to something big with FBC Eastland. I honestly do. I believe God is, is up to something big here in this community. I believe that, that God is up to something huge with this community. Man, you can talk to, to evangelical pastors in our area, and man, I know that they're faithfully uh, pa- uh, preaching the gospel. Uh, I had a conversation this week with one of them, and man, it is just encouraging to know that all across the county, the gospel's being preached. And I hope and pray unashamedly, and I hope and pray that church members begin of those churches and of our church begin to realize, hey, maybe God's not done. Maybe we should be living this whole thing out and living in life together and community together. The truth is that we don't follow man. We follow the man. And his name is Jesus Christ. This morning I wanted to take some time to remind us, me in particular, that our flesh will fail us, but our God never will. That through this season in our church, may we strive for unity in the body of what the Spirit has for us. Church, to not settle for good because good is the enemy of the best. To not hit coast mode, but to hit our knees and in prayer and in unity. To not rely on what man says, but what on the word of God says. To not result to our preference of what we want, but result to the unifying of the spirit. Because I will tell you, church, a movement of God has not, is not, and will not be stopped. I'm here today because a movement of God has not been stopped. And it will not be stopped until his son Jesus comes back. And all across the world today, the gospel's being preached. All across the world, especially overseas, people are putting their life on the lines through underground church and saying, and handing out flyers on the corner saying, hey, I want you to come be a part of this church. Risking their lives when it's illegal for them to proclaim the name of Jesus. All across the world, lives are being changed and added to the kingdom. The gospel of Christ is what unifies the people of all backgrounds, cultures, preferences, and personalities. So while the flesh divides, church, the spirit unifies. Hold and cling to that. Today we have a choice to stand in unity as a church and fight with each other or fight for each other. And I'm talking about church in in the American context. To fight for the thousand in Eastland who need to hear the gospel or to fight against them because they're different. Christianity, I want to read this to you, is the fastest growing religion across much of the globe. Some would say Muslim faith is the fastest growing, but statistics, time and time again, Muslim faith is catching up, but Christianity is still the fastest growing religion across most of the globe. You know where it's not? In the United States of America. I find it ironic. United, unity, faith in God, is, it is not. Matter of fact, it is not even in the top three. If we, the church, would start acting more like the church and less like the world, who knows what would happen? Who knows what would happen? I want to close with this article I found this week. Um, matter of fact, Austin Felt shared this article. It's off the Gospel Coalition. It's a great website, great resource. Uh, a lot of blogs are written. This, this guy was a missionary uh, and works with uh, people who have been uh, transformed by the gospel out of the Muslim faith. This was an eye-opening article that I read, and I want to just share this with you. It's a couple excerpts. Everyone loves a good story. As Christians, we especially love stories that tell us how, when all seems lost, God makes a way. One such story is about the church in Iran, and it's one of the greatest stories in the world today. 
It's a simple story that can be summarized in just two sentences. Number one, persecution threatened to wipe out Iran's tiny little church. And number two, instead, the church in Iran has become the fastest growing in the world, and it is influencing the region for Christ. Hey, this is not 20 years ago. This is, this is today, written this week by a missionary in Iran. I'm not, this is not a fairy tale. This is in Iran of all the garbage and trash going on all across the world. Despite continued hostility from the late 70s until now, Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. In fact, last year, the mission research organization known as Operation World named Iran as having the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. According to the same organization, the second fastest growing church, evangelical gospel Jesus Christ Center church, is in Afghanistan. And Afghanis are being reached in part by the Iranians since their language are similar. And they're getting it. And the gospel, a movement of God, cannot be stopped. Two stories. Cameron was a violent, and these these are real life missionary stories. Cameron was a violent man who used to sell drugs and weapons. And one day a friend gave him the New Testament. After reading for five consecutive days, Cameron gave his life to Jesus. And when his family and friends saw his transformed life, not when Cameron came and preached the gospel and beat him over the head with the Bible, when Cameron began, they began to see his transformed life. Over the ensuing months, many of them came also to faith. A church now meets in Cameron's house in Iran. Reza was a Muslim scholar who hoped to become a Shiite leader. One day while studying at an Islamic seminary, gosh, I love how God works. While studying at an Islamic seminary in Iran, he found a New Testament that had been boldly left in the library. And out of curiosity, he picked it up and was deeply shaken. And over time, he fell in love with Jesus. And today, Reza is a trained church planner serving in the Iran region. That is not an accident. Somebody left a New Testament Bible on the library table in Raza, or however you say his name, picked it up and fell in love with Jesus. You want to see lives change? Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. He closes out with this. And the story of God is writing for an Iran. And the story God is writing for Iran reminds us that we have every reason to rejoice and remain confident in our sovereign Lord and the power of his gospel. Jesus will build his church. It's a promise found in Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Spirit unifies, and when, <clears throat> this is good stuff, and when we, the church, become unified in the Spirit, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 